Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Discover what's possible when people impacted by autism inspire change and build community. Together with the Global Autism Project, here's your host, Rachel Harmon. Hello, everyone. Today, we are joined by the CEO of the Global Autism Project, Molly Ola Penny, and sensory integration therapist, Anna Tuzova. Anna is a Ukrainian refugee currently living in Poland. If you've been following our work closely, you'll know that a few weeks ago, Molly visited Poland with a small team to learn how to best support Ukrainian families with autistic loved ones. Since then, we've been in direct communication with hundreds of families who need help. Families who have spent weeks in bomb shelters with their children, have had harrowing experiences trying to escape to safety, and are now just wanting to get their children back on track. The stats are staggering. Over 105,000 families with autistic loved ones are fleeing Ukraine. The immediate needs of this community include housing and specialized services for their children. Unfortunately, the capacity of nearby countries to support these needs is extremely limited, and as such, families are left with little to no resources or hope. Sadly, this war is not over. In a lot of ways, the struggles of these families have just begun as they work to rebuild their lives in a new place. There is a small window of time in which we can easily connect with those who fled Ukraine. Each day that these families are left in limbo, the children experience severe regression and the parents continue to feel lost, helpless, and powerless. Families are constantly requesting educational services and continuation of care for their autistic loved ones. These would allow parents to start work and provide a routine and basic sense of normalcy for the entire family. The Global Autism Project is on a mission to solve this urgent need now. We have several projects already in the works that will allow us to begin services and recreation opportunities for hundreds of Ukrainian families right away. In today's conversation, Molly, Anna, and I discuss Anna's life before the war, leaving Ukraine and settling in Poland, Anna's hopes for the future, how the Global Autism Project is taking action, opportunities for those who want to get involved, and advice for Ukrainian families with autistic loved ones. In this episode, discover what's possible when you have a hand to hold. To learn more about the work we're doing to help support Ukrainian families, please visit globalautismproject.org. We appreciate your time. If you enjoy this podcast and you'd like to support our mission, please take just a few seconds to share it with one person who you think will find value in it too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Autism Podcast, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Global Autism Project, and join our community on Mighty Networks at community.globalautismproject.org. And now I present you Molly Ola Penny and Anna Tuzova. Hello, Molly and Anna. Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Great to have you both here today. Hi. Let's start with some brief introductions. And Molly, some of our listeners may already know you, but could you please introduce yourself for those who might be listening for the first time? Absolutely. Hi, my name is Molly, and I'm the founder and CEO of the Global Autism Project. 
Thank you. And Anna, could you please briefly introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, everyone. I'm from Ukraine. Now I can tell that I'm a refugee from Ukraine. <laughs> and back in Ukraine, I had my own center that was helping children with autism. And right now I'm staying in Poland, Krakow. All right. And, you know, the, the truth is it's unfortunate that we even need to be having this episode in the first place. But the exciting part is that there's something we can do to help the situation, which we'll get to later in this conversation. So Anna, let's backtrack to what you were doing before the war started. So actually, I've been refugee twice already. Me and my husband, we used to live in Donetsk, the city Donetsk. And in 2014, it was occupied by Russia. So we had to move to another city which is called Kramatorsk. It still was the Donetsk region, but that was Ukrainian part um, of, of Ukraine. So it wasn't occupied. And there in 2018, I started my own practice. I have a son who has hyperactivity syndrome and deficit disorder. And first I tried to help my son to be a successful boy. And then I really liked what I was doing, and I started helping other people who would have the same problems, I mean, other families. In 2018, with the help of grants, with the help of some organizations, I opened my own center in Kramatorsk. And when we opened, there were just like five children who would come to us. But when the war started, so uh, four years later, there was about from like 60 to 68 children who would attend my center. And it's grew up for, for these four years. Also in my team, I had six other specialists who worked with me. So they were like uh, neuropsychologists, psychologists, ABA therapists, sensory integration therapists. So we actually, we were doing a very good job and lived pretty happily lives. <laughs> yeah. So right before the war started, you were thriving. You had 60 students serving across all different kinds of disciplines. Mm -hmm. Could you walk us through what the last few months have been like for you? So I think this started from the end of 2021. Of course, like everyone was saying that something is going to happen and Russians are going to attack us. But of course, that was something that no one wants to believe. And we had all of those pictures from Great Britain and American intelligence that was saying that there's going to be an escalation. But we just refused <laughs> to do something about it. But in February already, the situation seems to be like worse and worse and worse. And on February 23rd, like uh, speaking about my family, we had already our suitcases packed just with documents and with things that we might need for the first month because we couldn't take too, too much stuff with us. And on February 24th, the whole country, all the regions of the country, we were woken up with the key hearing of bombing. Wow. Yeah, like in, in every like main cities of our countries, they tried to attack the airports and like the main important military bases. 
So of course it was loud. <laughs> it was very loud. And we just took the kids, our two cats and the dog, <laughs> put everything in our car and we just like started driving. We actually didn't really have place where to go or like we didn't really have plan. Even we were talking about like if if the war starts, like where do we go? And we thought that we had a plan. But in that situation, when actually everything happens, you're just like so stressed that you can't really think <laughs> clearly. And what was it like around you? Was everyone doing the same thing, trying to just jump in their cars and get out? Not exactly in our town, uh, Kramatorsk, uh, but Kharkiv not far from us. It's like 200 kilometers from us. And... This situation there was like really, really bad. So if in our city, they started just like with bombing in the morning and then it was quiet for several days. But in Kharkov, it was like really, really bad from the beginning. So that was Eastern part of Ukraine. And all of the people, like hundreds of thousands of people, they were like trying to drive away from that part of, of the country. And of course, all of the highways, they were like overcrowded. There were so many cars. It was really stressful. Like to get to the western part of Ukraine, it took us about, I think, eight days. But usually it would take just like one and a half days. It's just because there was too many cars and very like long lines on the gas stations. And like within two days, there was no food in the stores. And that was also very scary because like you have money, but you cannot buy anything like from food and feed your children. Yeah. So that was very scary. And as I said, in eight days, we got into the Western part of Ukraine, which was quieter there. But then the bombings also started there in the Western part. We understood that there is no actually safe place in Ukraine. By that moment, and me and my husband, we decided that I will take my children to Poland and he will come back and he will try to stay like and be in our house uh, as long as he can. Because, of course, in this situation, when there is a war, people are living in their houses. There always will be some thieves or robbers <laughs> who would mm -hmm. yeah, who would go, go to, to your home and just take everything that you have in there. So this is how it I turned out to be in Poland, Krakow. Okay. And did you know anyone in Krakow when you arrived? No, absolutely not. That was like a foreign country for me. I didn't know anyone. I just started asking people, Ukrainians, who were in Ukraine, like my relatives or my friends, uh, maybe you know someone here in Poland who could help me. And it turned out that there was actually a family who tried to help us. So they helped us to find a place to live in for the first month mm. because like, it was a huge, huge problem to find a place to live in uh, Poland. I think you've heard that about 2 million refugees from Ukraine, they fled to Poland. So it's like incredible number of people, of course, and there was no like enough space for everyone. Even if you have money and you're ready to pay for the rent, you couldn't physically find something. So this family, they helped me to find a place for the first month where I could stay with the, with the children. Is your husband still in Ukraine? Yeah, he's still in Ukraine. He moved a little bit further. So three weeks ago, he had to leave, actually, the 
our region, Donetsk region, because like it's really, really bad there. And for today, like the worst situation is on that territory. He moved to Dnipro city. Okay. Is he safe there? Yeah. It's it's pretty safe. <laughs> okay. You can say okay. so. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. And so you found a place to stay in Poland. And now, what is your plan? Uh, so, you know, in this world, there's so many wonderful people. And it's, it's really nice that like everyone tried really to help. And I met a wonderful woman here. She's Polish. But two of her sons, they live in the U.S., And uh, she told them my story that I'm from Ukraine and I'm a therapist and I work there with children with autism. And they decided to raise some money to help me. Not exactly to me. They just like wanted also to help like other children and other families just like through me using my help. They managed to raise $5,000 and that was actually enough to find a place for rent I could keep working with autistic children. With the help of Facebook, I found two other therapists who also moved here to Krakow because of war. One of them was a speech therapist. She's from Kharkiv, and her house, her apartment building is totally ruined in Kharkiv for today. And another girl, she was from Zhdomir, She's ABA therapist. Uh, so in three of us, we started searching for the families who were willing to come to us. And like very fast, I think that within three or four days, we already found more than 10 families who were willing to come and get some help. That was actually the maximum amount of people that we could accept. Because the place that we were renting, that we found for rent, This is a center that works here in Krakow uh, with children, but they could give us only three hours in the morning. Mm. So it's like, it's not the whole day working. Mm -hmm. That is why the amount of children we could accept, it was like pretty small. And of course, like the news started to spread and people just like started to get to know that there is someone like helping in Krakow, children with autism. And they started like call us, text us. And for today, I can tell for sure that there is uh, 29 families who like waiting for the help and they're like willing to get this help. But unfortunately, as I said, we cannot take more children, more families for now. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, this is the situation. So, <laughs> right. So, Anna, if you could wave a magic wand. What would you hope for for the future? Well, uh, I do know that many families, they are not going to come back to Ukraine because many of them, they literally, they lost their homes. Like we have families from Mariupol, we have families from Baradyanka. This is the small town which was next to Irpen in Bucha. And I think like everyone heard about like all those crimes that were in Irpen and Bucha. And those cities, they are also like totally ruined. And there were like tens of people who are willing for the fa- for, for help. And Of course, I would like to keep using my skills. I would like to keep doing what I'm doing the best in my life, like helping those children. I just really hope that with my magic wand, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I will 
I will find a bigger place that could fit like more people, you know, more families. And of course, I would like to have something like daycare, not just a center, a therapeutic center where people just like come for two or three hours, get their therapy and leave. But the place where the families could leave their children and go to work, because many of the families, many of the parents, they were high skilled workers back in Ukraine. And all of them, they have like high education. And one of the biggest things that they're willing is just to go back to work and start with normal life. So mm-hmm. I just hope that I can play at least some small role also in lives of, of these people and just do something to help them. Mm-hmm. Because this is what actually makes me happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Could you talk a little bit about how this experience, like being a Ukrainian refugee, is very particular, especially for families with autistic children? Uh, well, of course, it's very challenging. It's, uh, it's difficult to be a refugee with the normal development children. And I think that every child from Ukraine right now, they have a lot of trauma because lots of them... So, like, as, as my children, uh, they would spend many nights in the basements, uh, in the bomb shelters, or they would hear all of this bombing. And I think you can you can see right now Ukrainians on the streets, like, when there is a very loud noise, like, we always turn our heads and we just, like, uh, get scary because we cannot use to, to loud noises for now. But for families with autistic children, this is so much like 10 times worse situation because many of them, many of the children, they don't really understand the speech, like they don't understand the conversation. And when you have to be with the child in the basement for like weeks, of course, it's just, I don't know, it's just horrible. Like we have a family from Mariupol, they just started to attend us. They just started to come to us. And they spent six weeks in the basement with their kid in Mariupol. And he does understand a little bit of speech, but still it was impossible to explain him why we cannot go outside or like why we cannot go and play or why is it so loud during all the nights and all the days. And, of course, this kid, like, he, he started to, to hit his head, like, really badly, and he screams a lot. And it impacts, of course, the family, too. And it's also different. It's also difficult uh, to be a refugee here because it's safe here. It's, it's quiet here in Poland. But the child, he, like, he keeps doing the same thing here. And, of course, it looks a little bit weird on the street when there is a boy who walking on the street and just like screaming all the time and like banging his head. Mm-hmm. So for every every family, it will take, I think, like a month to get to normal uh, life or not even life, but maybe uh, like condition of their minds. So it just, yeah. it just needs some time. Yeah. Right. Anna, thank you for sharing all of that. I think it's important to bring awareness to really what's happening day to day for these families. It's something just unimaginable. And I think the work that you're doing to help them is so important, especially right now. Yeah, thank you.
Molly, could you talk about how one Facebook post, you could say, led you to get involved with what's happening to Ukrainian families? Yeah. So first of all, Anna, just thank you for sharing. Thank you for being here. And just every time I hear that, and this isn't the first time, it's just, I'm reminded of what this is really like. You know, we watch the news, we watch the TV, and it just feels like, oh, there's a large group of people and they're all leaving and they're going. And it's like, this is creating so much chaos and so much trauma and so much pain for these families. So I appreciate you, Anna, sharing, sharing that. So I was forwarded an article that showed up in an autism magazine and someone sent it to me and they said, we should be so grateful. Look at these terrible things happening on the other side of the world. Well, I'm not one of these people who believes in the other side of the world. I'm one of these people who believes in our world. And if it's happening anywhere, it's happening everywhere to an extent. And so through this article, I connected with a Facebook group. I don't think I'll ever forget. It was like before 4 a.m. on a Thursday morning. And I just wrote a post. I used Google Translate. And I said, you know, I'm the founder and CEO of the Global Autism Project. I've been thinking of your families since the day I saw the news out of Ukraine, since the day I saw hundreds of thousands of people leaving by train and crowded vehicles and working internationally for almost 20 years you can't help but just think about what's the impact on these families? What is this really like? You can't help but imagine. And I started doing some reading and some looking and some more learning about what was happening with autism in Ukraine in general before any of this happened and found there were some really great programs and some families were getting some really great services. And so I posted in that group and within a couple of hours, I had a couple hundred comments of people Everything from parents looking for housing, looking for food, looking for supplies, to people looking for services, to people wanting to restart services. And, you know, it was just, it was, it was a lot and it happened very quickly. I think my entire team remembers hours later, I was like, guys, this is happening. I don't know what's going to, I don't know what the next steps are, but this is happening. And I immediately began sharing everything I could within my network all over I traveled to the CASP conference to speak with people directly in Portland, Oregon. I followed up with every single person I had just met at the conference I was at previously and put together a trip because I knew that action would create clarity. I knew that if I could go there in person, I would be able to meet people. I'd be able to connect with people. And I had a feeling that there were humans like Anna, that there were people who had taken initiative back in Ukraine to start their business and provide services. And I had a feeling that I was going to come across people who were who were taking it on in Poland despite all odds. So that's how that's how we got here. How did you finally get connected to Anna? When I connected with this Facebook group, I also connected with this incredible community of moms who had very grassroots, very single-handedly taken on meeting the needs of these families with autism. They were doing everything from shipping sensory items to they set up this entire supply chain to get specific foods to families. And part of that supply chain was a volunteer named Sheldon who had done some refugee work in the past and just went to Poland to make connections and make things happen. He's a military vet. I mean, he moved mountains for us. We felt like we were on a bit of a scavenger hunt. He left us this list that said, you know, 
go meet this person. I've talked with her already. She'll explain to you the border situation. Go meet this person. They can potentially help you find physical spaces. And at the bottom of that list that I haven't yet connected with her, but you should probably meet this woman, Anna. Mm -hmm. And I thought, yeah, I really do want to meet therapists. I really want to learn. You know, that's, that's who I know. Those are the people I know. That's what I can relate to. And frankly, where we can be most helpful. So in Poland on, I think Monday night, even I was just there for five days. I was WhatsApping with this person, Anna. And she said, you know, I have to work all day, but you, we can meet in the afternoon if you'd like. And I said, well, what do you mean work? And she's like, well, I'm going to be working with the kids. And I was like, oh man, I haven't been in a center for a long time. And there are fewer, more powerful ways to get to know people than to see them in their element, I think in general. And so I invited myself and my team to go and see her at the center where she was working. She was so gracious and so lovely and sent us this incredible video, like you're going to walk in then you're going to go down the stairs and down the stairs. And that's where we'll be. We walked in, she was mid session. And, you know, I've seen a lot of people work with a lot of kids in my lifetime. I estimate probably a few thousand and all over the world, over 20 countries. And I had never seen anything like this. You know, Anna has just, she shared what she's been through and she is just bringing joy and laughter and happiness to these little guys. And so we just had an amazing time. The entire team was thrilled to see her. And then we decided to go to lunch and have a conversation. And I asked her, you know, Rachel, what you asked, you know, like, what's your wish right now? What's your hope? And um, here we are. Okay, so since that visit, the Global Autism Project has been actively involved in this mission. Could you share some of the initiatives that we've been up to, Molly? Yeah, absolutely. So Anna was incredible and organized. You know, if you've ever traveled with me or the Global Autism Project, you know that we talk so much about doing with and not for. We didn't want to come in and say, we know what's best and we're here to do it. We really needed to learn. We wanted to engage. We wanted to learn. We wanted to hear directly from families. And so again, I think Anna and I met on Tuesday and by Thursday, she'd organized a parents meeting some parents traveled as far as four hours for this meeting. And we were able to learn directly from the families what they were dealing with. And, you know, our initial thoughts around housing, and we had set something up to provide housing vouchers for families, which several were able to use. And we're really grateful for that. But the initial thoughts around housing, around, you know, basic needs, they were like, listen, we've been here about a month. We figured some of that stuff out what we've not figured out and what we really need help with is services for the kids. And we went on and met a second group of parents in Voslov and they shared the same thing. They said, you know, what we need is services. What we need is a safe place to send our kids. And so we learned that we were a bit relieved to learn that, you know, our competencies are not around creating housing and creating, we I'm certain could have figured it out and partnered to figure it out. But what, what was needed in Poland right now is exactly what our organization does. It's capacity building. There is not a country in the world that can take on the number of Ukrainian refugees fleeing with autistic loved ones right now. There's in Poland included, there was already a waiting list in Poland. And so the most important piece is to reestablish and rebuild capacity for services right now. So that's what we've been working on. 
Yeah. And what are the next steps that we're going to take? We are putting together therapists plus families plus physical location. That's what we're doing right now. So Anna is still working just a few hours a day in the center where we met her. And we're very eager to have the resources to be able to get her into a physical space that she can make her own and get started again. You know, she shared videos and pictures of the center in Ukraine. And it's just, it's so lovely. It's just, it's like the kids are smiling and the staff is smiling and they were not only celebrating, you know, in the video that we saw or the pictures we saw, not only celebrating being open, but she also shared that they were going to be starting a kindergarten this year, mm-hmm. April of 2020. So she has the plan. She even has the furniture. It's in a warehouse in Ukraine right now, but it's still there. Also, when we got back, we learned more about some of the families who had not been able to leave Ukraine. Some of them have adult autistic sons. Some of them have teenagers. Some of them have aging parents who are not able to travel. And so there's a large number of people who are still in Ukraine. With them, we've been providing housing and the moms there have been providing some incredible programming. So that's been very cool to to see and be a small part of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as everyone can imagine, you know, this project was never in the Global Autism Project's budget. And unfortunately, we don't necessarily have all of the resources and bandwidth to do all the things that we need to do, but there is an exciting opportunity for those who want to help right now. Molly, could you share that with our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. We have a number of exciting things right now. As I said, we're putting together buildings and people and families We have a building in um, Warsaw that we're going to be able to use once construction happens on that. We have actually a team of contractors who are going in and actually physically rehabbing that space so that we'll be able to use that space to support Ukrainian and Polish families. As I said, there was a waiting list for Polish families already. And so we don't want our intervention to be geared only to Ukrainian families, but also to help alleviate some of the stress on the system for Polish families already. You know, a few people have said, why do you need to bring in contractors? One of the little known bits about this war that I certainly wasn't thinking about is a lot of the tradespeople and contractors in Poland were actually from Ukraine and they returned to Ukraine. They said about 70,000 left their city alone. So there's a large number of contractors who have returned to Ukraine. And because of that, we have to fight in the war And because of that, we just have a shortage of tradespeople in Poland. So that's one of the things that we're working on. We have a team going and doing construction project, which is a bit of a new thing for us. And then we're also putting together a team of clinicians who are going to be traveling in August to support the autism centers that we're getting established. And then, you know, the opportunity for people is we have a number of people, a number of companies who have gotten involved by setting up a fundraising page, by crowdfunding. You know, I think one of the things, yes, there's a lot of things vying for our attention right now, certainly in the U.S., certainly when it comes to crises to respond to and trauma. But, you know, listen, this war has not ended. And even when the war is over, it will not be over for these families. As Anna mentioned, people are not going home. They have lost their homes. They have to reestablish their lives entirely from scratch. And I think there's a number of autism-specific 
you know, people, parents of, of kids with autism who have set up some of these pages, businesses that serve the autistic community have set up some of these pages. We're working with self-advocates because as you said, this was not planned. Nobody planned to have a war, certainly of this scale, anywhere in the world. And, you know, a lot of people have asked, why haven't you gotten involved with other refugee things? And, you know, I think that what makes this unique for and why it's appropriate for the Global Autism Project is that there were services in Ukraine. There were families who were aware of autism, who were accessing services. And there are a lot of mostly intact families who are who are leaving Ukraine as well. So which we're thankful for. But it, you know, it means that it's an appropriate fit to get those services reestablished. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're currently doing. Yeah. And I've personally created a Autism Knows No Borders podcast community fundraising team on our fundraising page. And I'm challenging the community to raise 100,000 US dollars. And I know with all of our listeners and our guests, if we each make a goal to even raise $1,000, we can get there very soon. Absolutely. So I'm excited thinking about what we can achieve as a community. And I'll share a link to that fundraising page in our show notes so people can join our team or they can set up a page on their own as well. That's amazing. That's incredible. I'm excited. Yeah, I mean, we're we're past episode 100. So even, as you said, even if every guest of this podcast comes to raising $1,000 US, we'll get there very quickly. Yeah. So, all right, I'd like to close with one last question for Anna. What advice would you give to other Ukrainian families with autistic loved ones? Well, that's a difficult one. (laughs) Well, the first advice that I would give, I think, to every Ukrainian that right now, if it's not safe, you just have to leave the place because I also know I've heard so many stories when people like are staying uh, because their elderly uh, parents they don't want to go or like they they don't want to leave their homes or they think that this is uh, their own like protest uh, against this war if they stay. But I think many of them they're basically afraid to go to new places where you don't know anyone and. As I said before, there are so many wonderful people around in this world. And actually, I think thanks to this war, you know, like the world, it opened up (laughs) in front of me. I didn't realize that you can get so much help, like from so many different people, not only from Poland, from US or from any other countries. So my advice would be if it comes to, first of all, saving of your lives and saving of of the life of your children. You just have to go somewhere. Just don't be afraid and just go because you will definitely get some help. If we would talk about families with autistic children, I would say that I think that Poland is very friendly to autistic families. And in Poland, all the therapies like sensor integration or ABA therapy or like whatever therapy it could be, they're very popular here. So there are like big chances for the families to find the proper services here. Maybe they're not going to be the same like in Ukraine, but for sure for the next year, 
It will be okay. It will be good. I do realize that right now the whole world and even us Ukrainians were tired from war. And people that don't like to hear anymore about war. And of course, in many other countries, like life keeps going. And I just wanted to say that there is still like very difficult situation in Ukraine. And every day people and children are dying. I just really hope that uh, the focus from our problems and from problems of families who have children with autism, the focus will not be lost because we really we still need that help. I mean, help like uh, like money help, you know, like to open up a new place. It can be like toys or whatever, food, because of course many of the children, they are on a gluten and casein-free diets and... Of course, this kind of food, it's a little bit more expensive everywhere and in Poland too. So sometimes like parents, they have to choose what to buy, like gluten-free or not gluten-free food. So I really wish that the help is still will be going and we will actually manage to have some wonderful therapeutic center or daycare center that could feed many children because with this project, we would help, first of all, families, of course, uh, with children. We would help other therapists because there are also hundreds of therapists who had to leave, uh, to leave Ukraine. And many of those therapists, they have very high qualification and uh, they're very skilled, high-skilled therapists. And I think that, like, Tense and tense people uh, will be helped with this project. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again, Anna. You know what? What I'm really excited for is to open the doors and see the center and see the new possibilities. You know, as Anna said, in a lot of ways, this war has opened her her eyes up to the amount of hope available and the amount of love and the amount of possibility in the world and again, as you said in the beginning, Rachel, like we don't even want to be having this conversation. We wish there wasn't a need to have it, but I know I'm very grateful to meet Anna and see who she is in the world and see what's next for her and other displaced Ukrainian therapists and what's possible and how we can support and how we can really make a difference in the lives of these kids. One of the things I want people to know is that we're not giving handouts right now. We're giving a hand to hold. And with a, a little bit of support, a little bit of resources, we're going to be able to get these centers up and running again to be back to being the sustainable centers that they once were. So I look forward to that. I look forward to walking through those doors again and seeing the kids and hearing the music. And yeah, and I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. Rachel, thank you, of course, for, for hosting it. And Anna, thank you for sharing as always. So yeah, yeah. Thank you very much for inviting. <laughs> Thank you for, for sharing so openly. I know it might not be easy to relive some of those memories, but I think it's important that the message gets out there. So I appreciate all that you do. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for tuning in to Autism Knows No Borders. As I mentioned, I am personally challenging the Autism Knows No Borders podcast community to raise 100,000 U.S. dollars. 
There are hundreds of people in this community, and if we each make a goal to raise $1,000, we can get there in just a few short days. I'm so inspired thinking about what we can achieve as a community. You can donate directly to our podcast community fundraising page at give.globalautismproject.org forward slash podcast. Ukrainian parents and teachers of autistic individuals have reached out for assistance. Funds raised on our page will help to provide resources to families and schools in need. From a sensory toy to comfort a child who has been forced from their home, to on-the-ground parent training and support, your donations will ensure that the Ukrainian autistic community has access to the resources they need most. Together, we can make a difference. Thanks for listening. Take care. Tune in each week for engaging conversations of how people across the globe are inspiring change and building community. You've been listening to Autism Knows No Borders, brought to you by the Global Autism Project. You can find Rachel's notes for this episode and learn more about today's guests at AutismKnowsNoBorders.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please kindly rate the show and leave a review. By doing so, you'll be helping us increase awareness and acceptance of autism around the world.